Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good whatever to everyone that's listening to me. My name is uh, Kennard. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Uh, Today is uh, Saturday, Sabbath, Shabbat, November 20th, uh, 2000. Before I get into the Torah readings, uh, as I stated in a new format with this program, I will talk about uh, what I feel is significant uh, things that we need to focus on, uh, in particular uh, the economy of the United States and how it's affecting everyone else. This is a website that I I really feel that uh, you need to study and analyze and, and get what the real story is in reference to the economy. Uh, the name of this website is the Economic Policy Institute. Uh, matter of fact, it's the website of the Economic Policy Institute. It's uh, www.e as an elephant, p as in Paul, i as in it, dot org. And the article on the website, uh, you can do a Google search for this, is uh, what would you do with $67 billion, that's with a B, $67 billion. Uh, this article was written by Andrew Fieldhouse, and is dated November 16, 2010. I'll just give you a summary of the briefing paper, which you could click the link and get a PDF document that will go into detail about what I'm going to say or quote from. Anyway, it states here, a major item on the remaining agenda of the 111th Congress is the extension of some or all of the expiring Bush-era tax cuts. As Congress deliberates, unemployment remains high, job creation is weak, and revenues are scarce. Again, let me underscore, as Congress deliberates, Unemployment remains high, job creation is weak, and revenues are scarce. At the same time, emergency federal unemployment benefits are set to expire on November 30th, and an estimated 2 million Americans will lose benefits in December. Now, if in the midst of these challenges Congress decides to extend the Bush tax cuts for the wealthy, and remember, these tax cuts are for the wealthy, individuals making above 200000 or joint filers making above 250000 per year. Now, I know I've heard these different types of complaints and irrational arguments about, well, somebody making 200000 they could still be struggling. Well, that's true. That's true. Uh, someone could be $200,000 in debt. I understand that. But the majority of Americans do not make $200,000 or more, let alone 250000 or a quarter of a million dollars or more. All right? So they are considered, according to, the government, and rightfully so, wealthy when you compare it to the average American, which makes a little less than $50,000 a year. 
or a little more than $50,000 a year. That would be the median, the median income or average income of an American in this country. So if you're making $200,000, you're doing quite well. All right? So uh, it says for the next two years, it will be giving $66.8 billion to a group whose incomes have seen the strongest growth over recent decades. Now, let me underscore that. that if they extend the tax bush cuts for the wealthy, which is defined as anyone making $200,000 or more, what it will be doing, it will be giving $66.8 billion to a group whose incomes have seen the strongest growth over recent decades. Now, remember I've told you, and I mentioned many on many different programs, that uh, former presidential candidate uh, John Edwards stated that we would only need $20 billion, 20 with a B, billion dollars to eliminate poverty in this country. And yet these tax cuts are giving the wealthy $66.8 billion, okay, to a group whose incomes have seen the strongest growth over recent decades and who will put relatively little of it back into the economy. And I know they don't because we still have a poverty problem in this country. And say, well, Kennard, uh, that means people don't want to work. That doesn't mean that. The majority of people want to work, all right? And if you need more proof from someone who's more credible than me about it, who has actually visited poor countries and so forth, get this book called The End of Poverty and read it, okay? And that book will prove to you that People aren't poor in most cases because they're lazy. They're poor because they don't have the resources to get themselves out of poverty. And even a Bible verse confirms this, as I'm going to quote after I get through with this uh, synopsis or summary of, of this article. And it says, at a time when millions are unemployed, and this is just in the United States. It's not talking about people around the world. It's much worse with people outside of the United States. At a time when millions are unemployed, revenues are tight, and the economy needs spending that will most improve the economic and budgetary outlook, there are better ways to invest the $66.8 billion. And I, I agree totally with that. And I just wanted to uh, read that because God, he prophesied that this would happen, not only to this country but worldwide. If you turn to Proverbs chapter 30, Proverbs chapter 30, And he states here in the, in the King James Version, There is a generation whose teeth are as swords, and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth, and the needy from among men. And, and that's what's going on. There's been a systematic uh, agenda to destroy the poor people, not only in this country, but worldwide. And if you turn to James chapter 5, it's talking about the rich. Well, the majority of rich people are in this country, so... This, uh, as I stated, uh, and I implore you, and, and I suggest that you listen to the Bible study I did on the book of James, and I proved in there that the book of James is primarily for the ten tribes, or actually all the tribes of Israel. And again, I have to mention this each and every program when I say this, because I know perhaps uh, some people that are listening to me don't understand that the twelve tribes of Israel consist today of the little nation of Israel in the Middle East, uh, the United States, uh, Britain, the countries in Northwestern Europe, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, um, in those geographical regions are God's chosen people. And, of course, uh, you can be a chosen people, anyone can be a chosen people by believing that Yeshua is the Messiah, he's the King of Israel. 
So basically, that is the truth. And in the book of James, turn there, and James really is a book that we need to study and read, ladies and gentlemen, because it talks about our problems in this country. We, we lead the world in, 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 uh, in uh, a lot of things. And one of the things we lead, lead the world in is wickedness. And in the book of James, it talks about how, how we do that. And it talks about how rich we are and how we um, distinguish between the rich and the poor and, and we're prejudiced against them. I'm not saying everybody, but the majority do that. Just like, um, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but many companies don't hire diverse employees because they want to. They do it because they have federal contracts from the government. And because they have federal contracts from the government, the government requires for them to hire diverse employees. If they don't do that, then what happens? They lose their federal contract. So a lot of these companies don't hire employees because of the goodness of their heart. They do it because, oh, they're going to be taking away a big federal contract. So they, they, they go ahead and comply with what the government wants because they know if they don't do it, they won't be able to handle or, or continue to have the federal country. Now, I know some companies actually want to do it, but for I know that when I've made calls, because uh, I have a client where I actually make calls uh, on the client's behalf because they sell affirmative action consulting services. And when I make calls, <laughs> I have had some companies say, well, hey, we don't we don't have federal contracts, so we don't have to do that. We don't have to hire anybody. Uh, we don't have to... Uh, to uh, focus on affirmative action. You know, it's kind of like they are glad that they don't have to do it. You know, so it, it's just, I'm not saying all companies are like that, but some companies are, and it, it's just terrible. And in James chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Go to now, you rich men. Well, before I even go to that, in James chapter 1, it states, uh, verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes, that's all of them, Israel, which are scattered abroad greetings. So this this is a significant verse because it only confirms history that the Jews and all the rest of the tribes, uh, the tribe of Judah, that's where the Jews come from, were scattered worldwide. It only confirms all the other prophecies. And and this this epistle is addressed to them because James states to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad greeting. All right. Now when we turn to James chapter five verse one. It says, Go to now, you rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. So this is the timing of it, for the last days, the days that we're living in today. Verse 4, Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, so this is talking about socioeconomics, uh, people's ability to take care of themselves, which is of you kept back by fraud. There's fraud going on in Wall Street, and it's been going on for years, and, and, and it's been revealed lately since September 2008. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the Lord, the ears of the Lord of the Sabaoth, or, or the armies. Verse 5. You have lived in pleasure on the earth. And that's what rich people do. They live in pleasure and have been wanton or, or very lustful. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just, and he does not resist you. And he says, verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, to the coming of the Lord. So when you see things get to the point where we're getting to another depressionary state, we're headed into one anyway, and, and, and things are going to get really bad, 
And usually when that happens, there's another war, a world war that happens, and that's going to happen as the Bible prophesied. In verse 7, it says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waited for the precious fruit of the earth, and have long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. So be ye patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draws near. So when you see all these things, know that the coming of the Lord draws near, ladies and gentlemen. Verse 9, grudge not one against another, brethren, that now you be condemned. Behold, the judge stands before the door, and he does. He's standing at the door right now. And then in Psalm chapter 12, so, you know, I, I'm just telling you this for those who are struggling. You know, I'm struggling, and I understand what struggle is all about, and that our struggle is going to be over very soon. And verse 5, which is a prophecy, Psalm 12, verse 5, For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I rise, says the Lord. I will set him in safety for him that puffeth at him. So he's going to rise because of poverty, ladies and gentlemen, and he's going to end or obliterate poverty for those who want to work. And um, he's going to make sure that people get paid for what they're worth instead of being oppressed. Uh, and, and, that, and that, and let me read another inspiring scripture to you as well that that covers this. Uh, the prophet Malachi, Malachi, chapter three. Malachi chapter three, and he states right here, verse one: Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And that's talking about the Elijah, John the Baptist, and of course the Elijah to come. And the Lord, whom you seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. That's, that's the Messiah, whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. And in verse 2, But who may abide in the day of his coming? Who shall stand when he appear? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Now, this is talking about his second coming, because when he first came the first time, people could stand before him. But anyway, in verse 5, And I will come near to, to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers and against false swearers and against those that oppress the hireling and his wages and the widow and the fatherless and that turn aside the stranger from his right and fear not me, says the Lord of hosts. So he's going to come back because of socioeconomic conditions, unfavorable socioeconomic conditions. Uh, socioeconomics meaning the ability to take care of yourself and your family. So he does not like people being oppressed. In this country, there's no excuse with us having a gross domestic product, uh, which is the total sum of all goods and services produced of a country, of over $14 trillion. That's $14,000 billion that we have. And we can't eliminate poverty, which will only cost $20 billion. That's what would be. And we have the most billionaires in the world in this country. And here we are complaining uh, that the rich won't get their little tax cut, which they don't contribute uh, hardly anything back into the economy to help poor people. So, you know, that that's the kind of wickedness that this country has collectively, in particular the leaders in this country. And, and, and it's just sad, and you think God is not going to punish us for this. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. And he's going to get his attention... He's going to get our attention one way or the other, ladies and gentlemen. Let's remember that. Okay. Let's go into the Torah readings here. And the Torah readings for this week is Genesis chapter 32, 
uh, verse 4 to Genesis 36, verse 43. And the Hatara section of the prophet section, Obadiah, chapter 1 to verse 21. Hosea, chapter 11, starting at verse 7 to Hosea, chapter 12, verse 12. And a Brit, Tadasha, or the Renewed Covenant, Matthew, chapter 26 to uh, verse 36 to 46. All right, so let me uh, give my weekly summary, courtesy of Habat of the uh, the Torah readings of the first five books of the Bible, which begins with Genesis. Uh, Jacob returns to the Holy Land after a 20-year stay in Haran and sends angel and missionaries to Esau in hope of reconciliation. But his messengers report that his brother is on a war path with 400 armed men. Jacob prepares for war, prays, and sends Esau a large gift consisting of hundreds of heads of sheep and cattle to appease him. That night... Jacob ferries his family and possessions across the Yabuk River. He, however, remains behind and encounters the angel that embodies the spirit of Esau, with whom he wrestles until daybreak. Jacob suffers now. They feel that this that this uh, angel has the spirit of Esau. I totally disagree with that because the text does not say that. But anyway, uh, Jacob suffers a dis- dislocated hip, but vanquishes the, the uh, creature who bestows on him the name Israel, which means he who prevails over the divine. That's another way of the Jews stating or denying the fact that what the text states, that he actually wrestled with God. You know. So anyway, I'll get into that in a minute. Jacob and Esau meet, embrace, and kiss, but part ways. Jacob purchases a plot of land near Shechem, whose crown prince, also called Shechem, abducts and rapes Jacob's daughter Dinah. Dinah's brothers, um, Simon and Levi, or Simeon and Levi, avenged the deed by killing all male inhabitants of the city after rending, rendering them vulnerable by convincing them to circumcise themselves. Jacob journeys on. Jacob journeys on. Raquel dies, or Rachel dies, while giving birth to her second son, Benjamin, and is buried in a roadside grave near Bethlehem, which is interesting because that's where our Lord and Savior was born. Reuben loses the birthright because he interferes with his father's marital life. Jacob arrives in Hebron to his father Isaac, who later dies at age 180. Rebekah has passed away before Jacob's arrival. Our Parsha concludes with a detailed account of Esau's wives, children, and grandchildren, and the family histories of the people of Seir, among whom Esau settled. Okay, so that's a summary, but let me address this very important issue of thinking that there was a spirit of Esau wrestling with him, and that, that definitely is a Jewish tradition because that, again, is not in the text. And even in, uh, let me take a look here, Genesis, you look at their English, uh, the Jews' English translation version of uh, the Bible, uh, it's pretty clear that who he wrestled with was not the spirit of Esau. Uh, let me see. Let's find this here. Right. Uh, the account where he wrestled with the so-called spirit of Esau, uh, it says right here in uh, Genesis chapter 32, verse 24, uh, it says, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And I know Jews always teach what God God um, cannot be. Uh, not, God is not a man, and that's true. That's based on the scripture. But that doesn't mean that He can't appear as a man. In verse twenty-five, and when He saw that He prevailed, this is in the Jewish uh, English translation. And when He saw that a JPS version, 
And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was strained as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. So that's what Jacob told, uh, who I believe this is this was Yeshua. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. Verse 28, And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. And this is how Jacob's name was, was uh, changed to Israel. For thou hast striven with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Verse 29, And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost Ask my name. In other words, why are you asking for my name? And he blessed him there. And verse 30, And Jacob called the name of the place Daniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. So the scriptures state that this was God, this was the angel of the Lord, uh, who in Exodus chapter 24, let's turn to that. Exodus chapter, uh, I think it's either 24 or 23. Exodus. Yeah, Exodus chapter 23. Exodus chapter 23, verse 20. This is uh, Yeshua, or Jesus, in his pre-existent form here. It could not be talking about anyone else, ladies and gentlemen. Exodus chapter 23, verse 20. Behold, I sent an angel before thee. And the word angel is capitalized. I'm reading this in the King James Version. To keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions. For not for my name is in him. God's name is in Yeshua or Yahshua. Alright? Verse twenty two. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies, and an adversary unto thine adversaries, for my angel shall Go before thee and bring thee into in the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. All right, so this angel, there is an angel that has God's name in him. Angel means messenger, the messenger of the covenant. That's another name for the Messiah, and that is Yeshua. He's the messenger of the covenant, the angel of the covenant. He is the angel that has God's name in him. And he is the messenger that appears as a man all throughout the Bible to represent God, because if he has God's name in him, then he is a part of God. He is God. Um, he's the word of God. He does, he's the Shekinah glory of God. That's what he is. That's what makes him God. But he stated himself that he has a God, and that God is God the Father, and you have God the Son, and, and the Holy Spirit is their power, the power that comes from the Father that flows from the Son. That's what the Holy Spirit is. God is not a trinity, although he identifies himself in three different ways, uh, distinct ways, through uh, being a father, uh, being a son, and, and also through his power. All right, so that's the truth of that. Now let's get into the other uh, portions here because uh, I'd like to spend more time talking about the uh, Jacob uh, story, but uh, I, I kind of summed it up pretty well, and then we have the uh, prophetic scriptures that we have to go over, and I don't have too much time. I have 37 minutes left. So so let's go to Obadiah, chapter 1.
Okay, Obadiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small against the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of, the pride of thine heart has deceived thee. Thou that dwelleth in the cliffs of the rock, whose habitation is high, that says in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? So this is talking about Esau and Edom. And Edom is talking about uh, the people that exist today that have Edomite blood in them, which uh, some some Romans do or Italians do, uh, as, as well as uh, Edom, Jewishly and traditionally, biblically, has also referred to people that are against God. So that's the way Edom is used here in Obadiah as well. And and uh it says, Who shall bring me to the ground? Verse four, though that though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, says the Lord. If these come to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the great grape gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee, that they eat thy bread, have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. Shall I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the mount of Esau? And thy mighty men, O Taman, shall be dismayed to the end, that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, or, the, or, the, or Israel, shall, um, for thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. So anyone that's against God or his people will be cut off. And God's people are anyone really that believes him and obeys his commandments. Verse 11. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captives, his forces and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou was as one of them. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger. Neither should thou have rejoiced over the children of, Jew, of Judah or the Jews in the day of their destruction. Neither should thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. So again, people that are against the Jews and people that are against God's people, not just the Jews, but anyone, that believes in the God of the Bible and does the best of their ability to obey those commandments based on what God has revealed to them, God's not going to like that. Verse 13, Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yes, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither should thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither should thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of his distress. Now, this is talking about the day of the Lord. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. And now, when he, when he reverses over to the heathen, he's also talking about Esau. Esau represents all the heathen as well. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thy own head. For as you have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yes, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be thought be, be and they shall be as though they had not been. So when you die, ladies and gentlemen, you are dead and you are as though you had not been. Um, and these are the people that follow Esau's attitude, which are the heathen. They will be destroyed. Verse 17, But upon Mount Zion 
which is Jerusalem, shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob, which are all the tribes of Israel, shall possess their possessions, and the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble, for stubble. And the house of Joseph is Ephraim and Manasseh, which consists of the United States and uh, the, the, the United Kingdom. And uh, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. There's an extent, a distinction here in verse 18. It says, In the house of Jacob, which is in all the tribes of Israel, and then he, uh, it shall be a fire, and it says, The house of Joseph of flame, and, and the house of Esau for stubble, and those are the rest of the Gentiles, uh, shall, shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, which is representative, uh, represents rather um, those who are against God and his people. Verse 19, And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they of the plain and the Philistines, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim, and the fields of Samaria, which is the capital of Ephraim. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, and to the um, to Zappoth, Zarephath, and the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in uh, Shepharad, shall possess the cities of the south. And a savior shall come up, and this is interesting, and saviors. Who are the saviors? Uh, the believers. Believers of God shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Very beautiful prophecy on what's going to happen in the future. And uh, in Hosea chapter 11, Hosea chapter 11, if I have some time, I may go back to the, uh, the Genesis uh, section and go over that some more. Hosea... Trying to find Hosea here. All right, Hosea chapter 11, starting at verse 7, it says, And my people are bent to backsliding from me, though they call them to the Most High, none at all would exalt him. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Adma, and how shall I set thee as Zobium? My heart is turned within me, my re- Repentings are kindled together. I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man, and not a man, the Holy One in the midst of thee, and I will not enter into the city. They shall walk after the Lord. He shall roar like a lion when he shall roar. Then the children shall tremble from the west. They shall tremble as a bird out of Egypt and as a dove out of the land of Isaiah, which is in the Middle East, and I will place them in their houses, says the Lord. Ephraim, or Ephraim, Compasseth me about with lies in the house of Israel, which is with deceit. But Judah or the Jews yet ruleth with God and is faithful with the saints. So this is saying that the Jews uphold the Torah. At least they do keep the law of God. They keep the Shabbat and they keep the holy days. And that's what that's referring to. 
chapter 12, verse 1, uh, it says, Ephraim feedeth on the wind and followeth after the east wind. He daily increases lies and desolation. And unfortunately, Ephraim does. Now, Ephraim, in this context, is referring to the ten tribes of Israel, which the United States and Britain is a part of. And it says, and they do make a covenant with the Isarians, or the Isarians is located uh, in the Middle East. And to prove this, it says, an oil is carried into Egypt. So obviously, this is talking about what we're doing today and what we have done today. We have made a pact with uh, the Isarians, which is really a, a tag name for the, the countries in the Middle East. And, and it says, an oil is carried into Egypt. And we have uh, today made agreements with uh, Saudi Arabia for them to... Um, to sell oil to us, to, to sell oil to us, and we depend on them greatly for that. Verse two: The Lord have also a controversy with Judah or the Jews, and will punish Jacob, which is uh, the ten tribes, according to his ways, according to his doings. Will he recompense him? So he's telling us that not only will the ten tribes, which the United States and Britain are, are leaders of these tribes, but also Judah or the Jews will be punished. Uh, he has a controversy with the Jews, and he will punish Jacob according to his ways, according to his doings, will he recompense him. He took his brother by the heel in his womb, and by his strength he had power with God. And it's talking about Jacob. Verse 4, Yet, yes, he had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept. So I don't know why the Jews state that the, that particular article uh, stated that that was the spirit of Esau. How can the spirit of Esau be an angel? But that, that was a mistake, I guess. Uh, well, I guess. I know it was a mistake. Um, verse 4, yes, yes, he had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him, and he found him in Bethel, which means the house of God, and there he spake with us. Even the Lord of, Lord God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial. Therefore turn thou to thy God, keep mercy and judgment, and wait on thy God continually. He is a merchant, the balances of deceit are in his hand, he loveth to oppress. Okay, and it's talking about Ephraim again. It says, Ephraim is a merchant. The balances of deceit are in his hands. He loves to oppress. I just read to you how Ephraim loves to oppress today, that article. In verse 8, and Ephraim said, yet I have become rich. I've become rich. I have found me out substance in all my labors. They shall find not iniquity in me that were sent. And I that am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt will yet make thee to dwell in tabernacles as in the days of the solemn feasts. So he's saying that in the future we will be celebrating the feast again as a people. Verse 10, I have also spoken by the prophets and I have multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. Is there iniquity in Gilead? Surely they are vanity. They sacrifice bullocks in Gilgal. Yes, their altars are as heaps in the furrows of the fields. And Jacob fled into the country of Syria and Israel served for a wife and for a wife he kept sheep. So that is the Torah portion uh, as far as the Hattara prophet section. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36. It says, Then come of Jesus with them, unto a place called, and, and said unto the disciples, Sit ye there while I go and pray yonder. Verse 37, And he took with him 
uh, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And then said unto him, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, and unto death wait ye here and watch with me. And verse 39, And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And verse 40, And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and said unto Peter, what could you not watch with me one hour? In other words, they couldn't watch with him one hour as he was in this torment of knowing he's going to die and how he was going to die. Verse 41, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and said unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that does betray me. So this is a agonizing rather situation that he went through, knowing that you're going to die. And he knew how he was going to die, too. That's what he was really didn't want to look forward to. No one would look forward to being beat to a point where you didn't even look like a human being, but that's what happened to him. So um, that's the uh, portion of, of the New Testament there that I wanted to read. So I do have some time left. We can actually go back to Genesis and uh, go over that a little bit more of what happened. Okay, let's go back to Genesis. Starting in verse 32. It says, And Jacob uh, went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Mahanaim. Verse 3. And Jacob sent messages before him to Esau, his brother, into the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thou shalt ye speak unto my lord Esau, the servant Jacob, said thus, I have sojourned with Laban, or Laban and stayed there until now. And I have oxen and asses and flocks and men service and women service, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find grace in thy sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and he also coming to meet thee with four hundred men with him. And Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that was with him, and the flocks and the herds and the camels, into two bands, and said, If Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord, which says unto me, Return unto thy country, and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant, for with my staff I pass over this Jordan, and I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that not he will come and smite me and my mother with the children. And thou saidest, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed of the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And he lodged there that same night and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau his brother. 
200 she-goats and 20 he-goats, 200 uh, owls and 20 rams, 30 milk camels which, with their colts, 40 kine and 10 bulls, 20 she-asses and 10 foals. And he delivered them into the hand of, of his servants, every drove by themselves, and said unto the servants, Pass over before me and put a space betwixt drove and drove. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau, my brother, meets thee and asked thee, What art thou, whether thou go, and whose these before thee, that thou shalt say, They be thy servant Jacob. It is a present sent unto my lord Esau, and behold, also he is behind us. And he commanded and so commanded he the, the second and the third and all that followed the droves, saying, On this manner shall you speak unto Esau when you find him. And you say, Moreover, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that go before me, and afterwards I will see his face. Peradventure he will accept of me. So went the present over before him, and himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over uh, the ford. Jacob, and he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man. We already talked about this, and we'll talk about it again here. With him until the breaking of the day, and when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. So he was that determined to get blessed. Verse 27, and he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And verse 28, and he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. So this is the origin of the name of Israel, if you ever wondered. It's in Genesis chapter 32. It's because of an action that this uh, name was born. Okay. So it um, said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince, thou hast power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherewith is it that thou ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Peniel, Peniel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. And therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh, until this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and the sinew that shrank. So there's a there's a tradition that's recorded in the Bible where they don't eat a certain section of um, of meat when it's eaten because of this action. And in Genesis chapter 33, and Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came and with him 400 men, and he divided the children unto Leah and to Rachel and to the two handmaids, and he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and their children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell upon his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted up his eyes, and he saw the women and the children and said, Who are those with thee? And he said, The children which God hath graciously given thy servant. Then the handmaidens came near they and their children, and they bowed themselves. And Leah also with her children came near and bowed themselves. And after came uh, Joseph near and Raquel, and they bowed themselves. And he said, What meanest thou by all this drove which I met? And he said, These are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep that thou hast unto thyself. And Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive 
my present at my hand, for there, for I had seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God, and thou was pleased with me. So maybe that's the reason why. It says right here, And Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at thy hand, for therefore I have seen thy face, as though I have seen the face of God, and thou was pleased with me. Verse 11. Take, I pray thee. That's the reason why perhaps they think that was the spirit of Esau. Verse 11. Take uh, people that state that it was, but obviously it wasn't. Verse 11. Take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. And he urged him, and he took it. And he said, Let us take our journey, and let us go, and I will go before thee. And he said unto him, My Lord knoweth that the children are tender, and the flocks and herds with young are with me, and if men should overdrive them one day, all the flock will die. Let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before his servant, and I will lead on softly according as the cattle that goeth before me, and the children be able to endure until I come unto my Lord and to Seir. And Esau said, Let me now leave with thee some of the folk that are with me. And he said, What needeth it? Let me find grace in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, and Jacob journeyed to Sukkot and built him a house and made booths for his uh, cattle. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkot. And that's interesting because that is related to the word Sukkot, which means uh, tabernacle. Verse 18, And Jacob came to um, Shalom, or Salem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of uh, Canaan, which he came from Padaram, and pitched his tent before the city. And he brought a parcel of field, which he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamar, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. And he erected there an altar and called it Elah Lo Israel. Okay, and then chapter 34 talks about what happened with Dinah and uh, chapter uh, 35. Uh, God sends Jacob to Bethel. He prayed, purged his house of idols. Uh, Rachel birthing Benjamin, and then uh, chapter 36. And I'm having some computer issues here, so I'm going to have to leave a little earlier, uh, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, unfortunately, you won't hear the the, uh, Malachi chapter 4 audio that I have because of these computer issues. But uh, God willing, I will get this fixed, and I will be able to speak to you next week. May God bless and keep you, and may God protect you.